Welcome to the Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Do you not know that I have proclaimed, as it is in heaven, so shall it be upon the earth? As you have called upon my name, as you have worshipped the name of my Son, that has moved my spirit, and I say unto you that it is possible for you to touch heaven tonight in such a way that what is done in heaven shall be done here on this earth. And I say unto you that in worship is when you should also seek for your healing. In worship, that is also the time that you should receive peace upon your mind. In worship, you should just put out what you need that you could be as the woman with the issue of blood that just touched the hem of his garment as he was passing through and that her need was met and she was made whole. I say unto you that I'm passing through this house tonight. I am walking among you tonight. I've not come here for a religious ceremony. I have come here because you have worshipped me and you have acknowledged who I am. That same God that was and is and is to come. And I say unto you, my children, all things are possible. All things are possible. And lift up your prayer before me. Lift up your need before me. Lift up your dreams before me. All things are possible in Him. And I say unto you, my children, you've already won. You've already won the victory. The kingdom of heaven has already won. And we've already seen the end. And the kingdom has won. Your enemy, Lucifer, Satan, his end is the lake of fire. But you are the church and you will be in my city. So rejoice, says the Lord. Glorify my name and see if I will not change the doctor's reports. You just go ahead and worship me and see if, if all of a sudden that pain just is not there anymore. Because I was and I am and I always will be God. Hallelujah. 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 Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah to your name. The Lord says that when I declared in my word that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, I was not meaning that I trample upon the earth, but it was the representation that my son would come and walk in it. I came to walk with you, says the Lord. That which Adam let go of, I restored with my own feet and my own love that came from the Father. So the Lord says, forsake not the throne room, for it is open for you. It is not time for the throne of judgment, but it is time for the throne that my people come to worship. That they come to draw near, because if you draw near, then I will draw near. The Lord says, I am here to walk among my people, and I will take you to my Father, says the Lord. And whatever my Father has in His good pleasure... 
he shall give you freely. For my blood cries out from the altar. Freedom, 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 says the Lord. And so tonight we're going to be in Ezra chapter 1, and then we're going to go to Zechariah chapter 4. How many of you have ever read the book of Ezra? Look at all the hands, he said sarcastically. (laughs) Ezra, he's in the Old Testament. He's considered to be a minor prophet. He was one of the prophets during the exile into Babylon. Uh, Ezra was a, a, a mighty man of God. He lived in historic times. We'll read the verse, we'll pray, and then we'll do some, some setup, okay? Is that all right? All right, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4 in Ezra chapter 1. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia. I want you to see that. Stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 4, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, Let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now let's go to Zechariah chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 6. An angel is speaking to Zechariah the prophet, another one of the minor prophets. And the angel answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. I want to talk tonight about our God and our mountains. Our God and our mountains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your presence and for your powerful word that's already come forth, Lord through these uh, tongues and interpretation. God, we are grateful that you still speak to your people. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now through your written word, God. You have declared this word for 2,000 plus years. God, we ask that you declare it to us tonight. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that you open up our ears to hear, that you would make our hearts good ground for the good seed of the word. And God, we receive everything that you want us to receive tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I want to give you some, some background here in just a second, but I, I'm sure you guys know that uh, my wife and I, we, we love to vacation in the mountains. If you follow us on Facebook, you've seen that. We, like, we go to the mountains every year. We started going several years ago because we went to the beach when we were young. I've been to Disney World like nine times. I'm done. I'm done with Disney World. I'm done with the beach. Uh, now, on the flip side of that, my kids are probably done with the mountains. Because we've been, 
She was ready for that. Because we've been going to the mountains the last few years. We've been to Yellowstone. We've been to uh, the Grand Tetons, Montana, Wyoming. We've been to Colorado a few times. And we've, we love it out there, Utah, Arizona. We love it out west. And what we love about the mountains is that it's such a different uh, landscape, such a di- different atmosphere uh, than what it is here in Kentucky. There's some observations you make about the mountains when you go a few times. Number one, you observe that mountains are big. Mountains are big. Not just big, but big, right? Mountains don't just go up. They go that way and that way and that way. There's depth and breadth to the mountains. Some mountains are so high that they've got snow on top, even in the middle of summer. Colorado has 34 mountains that are over 14,000 feet. That's high. We drove up to Pikes Peak. We've done it twice. And when you're almost, you're about a mile from the top, you start getting dizzy. Your vision starts getting a little blurry. You start feeling a little short of breath. It's kind of freaky the first time you do it. Mountains are so big. They're so big. They're so high. They're so wide. They're so deep. They're ancient. They're old, old mountains. Those mountains have been there a long time. Those mountains have dinosaurs wrapped up in them. That's how old those mountains are. They have a really cool dinosaur museum up in Montana. Mountains are old. They're big. Mountains are so massive that they affect the weather. You know, here the weather moves west to east. We know that if it's storming in Louisville, in about an hour and a half, it's going to be here. Unless it's going real fast, it might be here sooner. We understand how that works here. Out there, that doesn't matter. Throw that out the window. You might go through snow, then have sun, and then have snow again, and then have rain. All in like 50 miles. Because in in the mountains, the wind and the weather does whatever the mountains dictate. Are you with me? Now, I realize I'm making natural observations for a reason. Okay? Mountains are big. They're ancient. They sprawl out everywhere. They take up space. A lot of the times, mountains are impassable. They affect the weather. You know, years ago, 150, 200 years ago, people had to cross mountains like that in wagons. I do it in my car, and I'm terrified the whole time. White knuckling the steering wheel the whole time because down at the bottom, it was 60 degrees, and now up at the top, it's like 20, and it's snowing, and I realize that just over that guardrail is certain doom. Mountains are massive. They're old. They affect the environment around them. And then when we get into the Bible, we see comparisons of mountains. Why? Because God knows his creation, doesn't he? God knows what he made. God knows what we see and what we deal with. And he knows that sometimes we come into an instance in life where we run into something that is big. We run into something that is old. It's been there a long time. It's not movable like we are. We're movable. We're movable by by the wind. We get blown about by every wind of doctrine sometimes, don't we? We're movable by emotions, by feelings. Mountains don't move. You can cry at the mountain in your life all day long, and it won't go anywhere. You ever done that? God, why? Why is this happening? And you got the snot and the tears and all that, and nothing moves, nothing changes. See, God knows that there are things in our life that are ancient, things that are obstacles, things that are difficult to traverse. 
Things that are difficult to get over. You with me? Sometimes we come into situations that are hard to get past. We'd rather go around it, but a lot of times we can't see the end of it in any direction we go. We certainly don't want to go through it. And Lord knows if you've ever done any hiking, going over it is quite a challenge. Getting over those immovable things in our life are quite difficult to do. Zechariah chapter 4, God, God calls out a mountain. But you've got to understand the background, the context of why he calls out a mountain. In Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus is king of Persia. Cyrus is about three kings removed from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king who came into Judah and took them captive into Babylon. It was prophesied by God that that would happen. The people, had, the people of, of Israel had forsaken God. They had followed after false gods. They had done horrible things. They'd had wicked kings and all these things. And so God pronounces a judgment of 70 years on the people. For 70 years they will be removed from their homeland and taken into captivity. Now, thank God it wasn't the 430 years of Egypt, right? But it was still 70 years of bondage. So they're carried away. At the start of Ezra chapter 1, the bondage is almost over. We're within the last three to five years of the bondage. There's a new king in Babylon, and his name is Cyrus. Cyrus was king of the, the, the Medo-Persians. Cyrus came in and overthrew Babylon. I believe he was the one that came in through the river gate. He dammed up the river and dried up the river and walked in to the city in open gates. Brilliant, brilliant man. What's fascinating is, is that about 538 B.C., somebody hands him a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 44, 28. Isaiah says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. What does that have to do with this? Isaiah wrote that 150 years before Cyrus was born. 150 years before Cyrus was ever king. And he calls him out by name. And he puts something in his heart. He says, this is going to be in you, and you're going to do it. So at the start of Ezra, Cyrus says, all right, it's time to do it. Cyrus sees the, the prophecy in the scroll of Isaiah, and he commands, now's the time. Let's fulfill it. Cyrus had a belief that the gods were for him. He wasn't exactly a follower of Jehovah, of Yahweh, but... He was a follower of whatever God would prop him up. And he wanted to please whatever God would prop him up. So he, makes, he sees this, and he sees his name, and he says, oh, there's a God that's trying to do something, and he wants to use me, and I want him to use me. And man, isn't it crazy that Cyrus a lot of times had, a lot, had more foresight than some of the people of God? Amen? Because a lot of times we, we know plainly what God wants us to do. We know plainly how he wants us to live. This is my pastor moment for the sermon. We know plainly that God doesn't want us to talk that way or be with those people or do those things or do that or be like that. We know plainly. Cyrus didn't know him, but when he saw his name, he said, all right, I'm in. Okay? So in Ezra chapter 1, he sends the people back. He sends 50,000 people back 
to Judah under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the name Zerubbabel means out of Babylon. That's what that means. That's why you got Babel in there. Zerubbabel, out of Babylon. So Zerubbabel was actually the grandson of the last king of Judah. He should have been a king. He should have been a king. Now he gets sent back to Judah as a governor. And he's been sent back with one mission. Rebuild the altar, rebuild the temple. That's your mission. So the temple complex. God has a house to build. God has an embassy to build on this earth. And so he employs the most powerful man in the world. And that man delegates it to to someone who should have been a king. Right? The reason he wasn't a king was because the people before him messed up his future. The reason why he wasn't still the king of Judah was because his fathers had messed him up. His forefathers had done things they shouldn't have done. And he was bearing the brunt of it. He was the one having to live with it. You ever been there? You ever had to live with the failures of those who have gone before you? You ever had to live with the bondages that were passed to you? Right? Living in a status and a situation that you didn't ask for. You didn't have anything to do with it. Granddad messed it up. But Zerubbabel, instead of giving every reason why he should not go, he went. Now, I'm sure he was probably, he probably had a healthy fear of Cyrus. That's probably the main reason he went. But he didn't make excuse. He didn't go to Cyrus and say, well, you should make me king, not governor. No, he went. He went and he took 50,000 people and they began to work. Now, this is in the year 538 B.C. In Zechariah chapter 4, 16 years have passed. 16 years. Now, his mission was to go and to build the temple and the altar. That was his mission. That was what God had ordained from the times of Isaiah. In the first two years, they were able to get the foundations laid. Two years. That's, that's reasonable. We're talking about a pretty good-sized structure. We're talking about a place of importance. All right, two years of work. They're, and they're using hands and chisels and ropes and animals. That's all they've got. They don't have backhoes and forklifts and all that stuff. So they're doing the work by hand. Two years seems pretty reasonable. Now we go to Zechariah chapter 4, and it's been 16 years. They got the foundations laid, and then they hit a roadblock. Something happened two years into the mission that for some reason or another caused them to grind to a halt, and they could not move past it. They had a mountain show up. A mountain showed up in the plan of God. Could you imagine? Has anyone ever had that experience where a mountain shows up where God ought to be? Amen. We're going along. We're trying to do what God wants us to do. We're trying to minister in the way that He's called us to minister. We're trying to use what He's put in us to use. And then suddenly we run into a a barrier, an obstacle. Suddenly something happens we can't get over. And we're stuck. But God said, 150 years ago God said, but we can't advance, we can't progress, we can't, we're stuck. We've run into a mountain. Something immovable has popped up. We were able to do some, but not all. Something old, something obstinate, something big 
got in our way. There are ancient things that we're facing in this, this land. Right? We're, we have a relatively young country, but we still live in an ancient land. There are ancient things here that have stood their feet in the ground, dug in and said, no. Oh, that was cool. I wasn't planning on that, sir. There are things that have dug in and said, no, we will not move. We will not yield. You will not get past us. But the word of the Lord from 25 years ago, 28 years ago, and let me say this, I guarantee you the word of the Lord's been speaking longer than these last 28, 29 years. I guarantee you the word of the Lord has been speaking in this region for generation upon generation. God's been speaking for hundreds of years because He's had a plan all along. But there's some mountains in the way that that His people can't get past. So in Zechariah 4, verse 6, the angel appears to Zechariah, and you'll see this all throughout Zechariah. He has kind of a, a, a back and forth with an angel over and over again. Zechariah 4, he, uh, the angel wakes him up. He says he wakes me up and he says to him, he shows him a vision of some things. And he answers and says to, to Zechariah, he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. 16 years after the work stopped, 16 years after the progress halted, they've been hitting that ceiling for 16 years. They've been cycling through that same thing for 16 years. They can't get past it. They can't get over it. They can't get around it. They tried that. They, can't, they cannot progress for 16 years. So the word of the Lord comes, and the Lord says, not by might, nor by power. You know, for 16 years, he probably tried everything he could try. He probably sent people. He probably hired new people, fired the old people. He probably got new plans. He probably did everything that he knew to do. But for some reason, he could not break through. Why? Because it's not by might. It's not by power. It wasn't about ability. It's about the Word of the Lord. It wasn't about ability. It was about the Spirit of God doing something bigger than what they could see or experience in the moment. So for 16 years, they tried. And now 16 years later, the word of the Lord comes and says, not by might, not by power. Zerubbabel, if you were strong enough, it would have been done by now. If you had enough power, it would have been done by now. Apparently, you don't have what it takes to get it done. But somebody does. Amen? Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. The but there says that that's an answer. If power is an issue, might is an issue. The spirit is the answer to a lack of power. The spirit is the answer to a lack of might. It's God's spirit moving that can outdo and overdo anything you can do. Anything we can do. This word is for us as a body tonight. But it's for us as individuals too. Because see, when God frees us individually, when God takes care of my mountain and your mountain and your mountain and your mountain, then together he's going to take care of our mountain. Amen? Because he's got something for us all to advance in. For us all to move ahead in. And we can't do it if we're stuck back over here not getting over something. Amen? It's hard to get over stuff. Especially when they're big. 
and tall and sprawled out everywhere and in your face sometimes. Amen? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The word continues. It does not stop there. We like that part because that's a good quoting preachy part. Right? But the word continues. It's still God talking in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, Who are you, O great mountain? Who are you, O great mountain? Now, I want you to understand, God is not acknowledging the greatness of the mountain to him. God's not moved by mountains. You know that song we sing, Reckless Love? Some people are laughing because they know my beef with this song. I love the song. I think it's a fantastic worship song. My only theological beef with the whole song is the part where he says, there's no shadow you won't light up. Love that part. No mountain you won't climb up. Who are you, great mountain? The hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. There is no mountain for him to climb up. He's higher than any mountain. Amen? There is nothing that exists that is higher than he is. If anything, he might have to step down to find you on your mountain. But he's not climbing up nothing. Because he's higher than any mountain. Amen? He says, who are you, great mountain? To Zerubbabel, you're great. To me, who are you? Every now and then, have you ever had a little kid walk up to you and tell you something and you're like, or not even a little kid, just somebody you don't know walk up and insult you or say something to you and you're like, who are you exactly to say that? Has anybody ever had that happen? Absolutely, I have, absolutely. You do exactly that. Who are you? What's your name again? And how does it matter? Who are you? Imagine God standing in the heavens. Let's try to picture this. Whatever image you have of God. I picture a light and maybe a little bit of feet. That's all I picture for God. Imagine God standing in the heavens and proclaiming, looking down. Who are you, great mountain? Who are you, great mountain? The first thing we see that God does when he deals with the mountains is that God deals with the mountain directly. God doesn't try to skirt around it like we do. Right? We try to skirt around it. We try to climb up it. We try to deal with it. We try to dig through it. We try to grin and bear it. We try to move on, right? But God says, who are you, great mountain? Who are you? God wants to deal with your mountain. He isn't afraid of your mountain. It doesn't matter if it's addiction, sickness, porn, bondage. It doesn't matter what it is. God's not afraid of your mountain. Who are you, great mountain? God wants to deal with your mountain directly. We want God to deal with our mountain on our terms. God wants to deal with our mountain himself. Himself. Jesus goes as far as to say that when we partner our faith with what God wants to do, then we can even speak to the mountain and tell it where to go. Right? But we got to get our faith aligned with what God's trying to do. God's trying to talk to our mountain. We're talking to God about how messed up and hurt and, and pathetic we are. Am I the only one that's ever done that? You guys looked at me like you never did that. Don't we go to God sometimes in those tough seasons, in that mountain time, and we're like, God, why? Woe is me. God, why is this happening? We're doing everything we ought to do. We're doing everything we know to do. God, why is this happening? God wants to say sometimes, I believe, man, don't worry about how it feels right now. Let's talk to the mountain. Amen. Let's talk to the mountain. Who are you, great mountain? God deals with our mountains directly. He doesn't skirt around it. He doesn't have to go through somebody. God wants to talk to your mountain. Amen. 
God wants to deal with it. And if you agree with Him and partner with Him while He's doing it, you're going to see something happen quicker. Because faith partnered with the Word of God is unstoppable. Faith partnered with the Word of God facilitates the manifestation of God's Word on the earth. It makes what God says reality when we partner our faith with it. Who are you, Great Mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Second thing God does when He's dealing with our mountains, He issues a word. And the word collapses the mountain. Or we could say it like this, the word empowers us to get over it, to get to the top of it. And what I mean is, God has promised here that this this immovable, ancient obstacle that is in the way of Zerubbabel will become a plain, a flat plain in front of him. Meaning, it it was like this, and now it's going to be like this. It's a whole lot easier to walk across this than it is up that. You with me? If you've ever done any hiking, it's a lot easier to walk across this nice flat stage than a a, a 10% grade on on a trail. It's a whole lot easier to walk on a flat surface. So what does God do? He issues a word, and the word either, you could say, it lowers the mountain or it raises the man, one or the other. Either way, all I know is that Zerubbabel's not having the difficulty that he was having anymore. Why? Because of the word of God. It's the word. The word is what will deal with your climbing issue. The Word is what deals with the severity of your obstacle. It's the Word of God that can bring the mountain down. Or it's also the Word of God that can lift the climber up and make him or her traverse that mountain much easier. Third thing God does. This is all out of verse 7. It says, He shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace grace to it. The capstone means the peak. The peak. So when the Word collapses the mountain, it puts us on top. Amen? It puts us on top. But what it does is that it gives us shouts of grace, grace. He says he will bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace. Grace means favor. Did you know it's, it's possible to have favor even on the mountain? It's possible to be faced with something huge, immovable, ancient, and still be in the favor of God. It's possible to be traversing a mountain and be completely safe. See, we, we, we talk in, the, in church, we talk about valley lows and mountains high, you know, mountain highs. We talk about praising God on the mountain, amen? Why are we praising God on the mountain? Because we just climbed a mountain, and he got us up there, right? He got us up there. God promises Zerubbabel that he's going to walk over this thing. He's going to get over it. Amen? He's going to get over it. And when he gets over it, he's going to look back and he's going to say, Grace, grace, the grace of God, the favor of God that was on me. It was the favor of God that got me through this thing. It was the favor of God that got me over this thing. I never thought I'd get over it. It's been 16 years since I progressed. But the favor of God was there the whole time. It was the favor of God on his life. Grace, grace unto it. The mountain was in Zerubbabel's way. It was halting the progress in reestablishing God's house, the temple. It was halting the progress 
of building up the altar or the place of worship. It was halting the progress of instituting the priesthood. In other words, putting God's people back in the position they ought to be when they serve Him, right? We've all faced those mountains, haven't we? We as a body are facing that mountain. Amen. We faced that mountain a while. Winchester's facing that mountain. God's trying to establish a house in Winchester. Not, not one house. I'm saying His house, capital H, in Winchester. His kingdom come. His will done on earth in Winchester as it is in heaven. Have you ever thought about that? On earth. In Winchester. With our Walmart with like three lanes open. With, with our high taxes. With our delusional city government sometimes. With our, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be political, I'm trying to make a point. With our drug problems. Right? With our suicide problems, with our overdose problems, with all the things, our abuse problems, our neglect problems. God, your will be done in heaven as, as on earth. Yeah, on earth as it is in heaven. In Winchester as it is in heaven. Well, if that's going to happen, he's going to have to take down some mountains. He's going to have to help us get over some things that we can't get over. You know what? The body of Christ in Winchester has got to get over some stuff we got to get past some old stuff. There's some ancient mindsets. There's some ancient associations and affiliations that need to die so that the new kingdom can come. Amen? We need to let go of some of that stuff and let God move the mountain. Let God move the mountain. You know, sometimes we make mountains. It's not always a demon. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes I get hurt about something and I make a mountain out of it. Sometimes I get abandoned and I make a mountain out of it. Sometimes people leave our life and we make mountains. We build, we build huge constructs as a tribute to the hurt and the pain that we have endured in this life. Don't we? I say we because we've all done it, haven't we? Amen. But we are the sons and daughters of God. We're, we're ahead of Zerubbabel, church. We're ahead of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel didn't know Jesus. Zerubbabel, he just had, he had Jewish blood flowing through his, his veins. I've got the blood of the king flowing through my veins, amen? I've got access that Zerubbabel didn't have. I have inheritance that Zerubbabel did not have. I have the Holy Spirit of God Almighty in me, not by power, not by might, but by his spirit in me, says the Lord. God's spirit was working for 150 years at least on this whole deal. And God wanted to remind Zerubbabel that, hey, my spirit started this thing. My spirit has sustained this thing. It was my spirit that moved on the heart of Cyrus the king. It was my spirit that moved on your neighbors that gave you the gold and the animals and everything you would need to come and do what you're going to do. My spirit did this. You didn't do it. So why are you trying to figure out how to get past it? Why are we trying to figure out how to get past something that God is doing? Yes, the enemy's going to fight. Yes, I, I think it's responsible to say, hey, God, am I contributing in a bad way? Right? Anybody ever done that? God, did I, did I cause this? Is this my fault? Please let me know so I can repent and you can fix it. But he's, he's reassuring Zerubbabel that it wasn't you. It's not going to be you. It's going to be me. It's going to be my spirit, says the Lord. 
My spirit is at work. And he makes a promise to Zerubbabel in chapter 9, or verse 9, I'm sorry. He says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. But his hands haven't done anything for 16 years. But he can't get past that plateau. He can't get past that hump, the the lid, the ceiling, whatever term you want to apply to it. There's something, there's a barrier between you and what God has for you. And you can't get past it. But God makes a promise to his servant. He says, you started it. You started this work that I called you to, to, to work. You started this work that I called you to work. And you will see it through. You will finish it. I believe that there are things on this earth that we maybe have put into the, the, the realm of the kingdom and said so we may not see it till the kingdom, but I think there are things that we're going to see on this side of the kingdom that we maybe have given up on, and so we get all spiritual about it, and we say, okay, God, I know I'll see it in the, in the kingdom. Just like Martha did. Remember what Martha did when Lazarus died? Jesus said, do you believe that he can live again? She says, oh, Jesus, I know that he'll live again in the resurrection. She had the theological answer. She had the spiritual answer. And Jesus said, no, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He will live now. Sometimes there might be something that we're going to see in the kingdom, church. But if you're like me, you've probably given some things over to the kingdom that that aren't meant to be there just yet. You with me? If you give anybody with some destiny, anybody with some word on your life that you've said, okay, God, I'm fine. If it's in the millennial kingdom, I'm fine with that. If it's in the eternal kingdom, I'm fine with that, Lord. Anybody ever said that? I've said that. God, maybe, maybe we won't see that church of 2,000 on this side. Maybe it'll be an embassy of the kingdom in, in the reign of Christ. Maybe. Maybe. But maybe we've got a mountain that we need to call out. Maybe we've got a mountain that we need to come in agreement with our God who is calling it out. How many weeks, how many times has God said through a word that what is proclaimed in heaven is going to be manifest on the earth? And vice versa, what's proclaimed on the earth will be manifest in heaven. He said in his word, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We stop talking about it because we can't get over the thing that's keeping us from it. Amen? Let's stop giving in to the mountain. And let's start speaking again. Let's start calling up. I love what the word was tonight. The word said... Bring up the dreams again. Raise up the dreams, not just the needs. Raise up the dreams again. Let's talk to God again about what we used to dream about, but we've stopped talking about it because it hurts because it hasn't happened yet. Amen? Anybody been serving God long enough to have some of those? Yeah, me too. I've got words from the time I was 10 years old that still haven't happened yet. Oh, it's not that long ago. It is for me. It might not be for you, but it is for me. Church, we've got mountains in our life. Can we agree with that? We've got mountains in our life. We have mission in our life as well. We have purpose in our life as well. There's not a person in here who does not have a purpose on their life. Not a person in here who is not intended and purposed to manifest and shine the glory of God in this earth while they're in it. While they're in it. Not a single person in here is meant to live less than this side of heaven. Not a single person in here is meant to be beat down, broken, or in bondage. Not a single person in here is meant to lose their generations. Not one of us. 
But we've got mountains. And they're keeping us from getting over some stuff. They're dictating the air around us. Remember what I said? Mountains dictate the weather. The wind moves depending on how the mountains are laid out. In the Bible, wind is a a metaphor for the breath of God, the Spirit of God. We let mountains tell us how God wants to move in our life. Am I wrong? We place limitations on the moving of God because of the mountains. We say to God, but God, you can't do that in me because of this and this and this. It's God's wind. It's God's spirit. Let it do what it wants to do. I say it not to, not to uh, depersonify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. Let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Let the wind blow where it wants to blow. Don't let your mountains dictate to God what God ought to be doing in you. Amen? we got to stand up, church. we got to stand up as individuals. we got to stand up and we got to say, God, call my mountain down. Amen? God, God, I need you to address my mountain. Who are you, great mountain? God, I know that you're speaking on my behalf. God, I know that you've got a plan for me. God, I know that your purpose is bigger than my mountain. I know that your purpose will carry me over it. So let's go. Let's get over it together. Amen? Stand with me tonight. Thank you for listening to today's Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you were blessed by today's word. If you'd like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.